Alexandra Quink and the Stars Above by Inverarity, read by Sam Gabriel. Chapter 5 Hags For a while, Alexandra worried that her parents might refuse to let her go to the Goblin Market. The morning the Charmbridge bus came to take her on the annual shopping trip a week before school started, Archie waited with her as if he didn't trust her. I'm not sure we should be letting you go to Chicago, he said, sipping his coffee. There has to be some way to mail order your school supplies. Alexandra was standing in the kitchen, watching out the window. Whatever, she muttered. She could endure one more week. She saw the short yellow bus come around the corner and grabbed her backpack. Don't whatever me. Archie clenched his coffee cup and looked as if he were going to say more. Alexandra tensed and kept her mouth shut. He wouldn't force her to stay home now, would he? You're fourteen, he said. Not an adult. Whatever they teach you at that school, you better remember you're still the kid around here when you come home. Yes, Archie. She struggled very hard to say this without sounding sarcastic. Outside, the bus pulled to a stop in front of their house. Can I go? You're still grounded when you get back. Alexandra hurried out the door before she retorted that he'd told her that fifty times already. From the outside, the simple yellow Charmbridge school bus looked like it could carry perhaps twenty people crowded together. As soon as Alexandra stepped aboard, however, the interior space of the bus stretched back and across with impossible dimensions, large enough to hold dozens of students in comfortable booths. Far in the rear were stairs going up to a second level where even more students sat. "'Hello, Miss Quick,' said the elderly bus driver, Tabitha Speaks. "'You've had an uneventful summer, I hope?' Alexandra wondered what she meant by that, but just said, "'Yeah, nothing special.' With a polite wave to the frizzy-haired witch, she walked to the back of the bus where her fellow ninth-graders were seated. Faces turned her away as she walked down the aisle. Younger students looked at her with fear or awe. Even the brand-new sixth-graders were staring at her, except for one girl who must have heard such terrible things about the notorious daughter of Abraham Thorne that she turned in her seat and hid her face. Alexandra resisted the temptation to yell, Boo! Seated amidst the seventh graders, a punchy, toe-headed boy with a round face smiled at her. Hi, Alexandra. She gave him a small smile back. Hello, William. Are you in the JROC again this year? He asked. Yes, she paused. Are you? William Kilmond had not had an easy time in the Junior Regimental Officer Corps the previous year. A muggle-born, new to the wizarding world, he'd been picked on and bullied by his fellow JROC mages, and Alexandra hadn't thought he'd want to wear the uniform again. He nodded enthusiastically. I'll, uh, see you at drills, then. William's friends eyed him and Alexandra uneasily. Yeah, she said. See you there. Toward the rear of the bus were the ninth and 10th graders, most of whom were less intimidated by her, but still treated her as someone dangerous to know. Among the sophomores, only Torvald Krogstad greeted her in a friendly manner, and she suspected he was waiting for a chance to hex her. No Larry Albo, she thought. Her nemesis since her first day in the Wizarding World was an 11th grader now, which meant he and his friends got to sit on the privileged upper level of the bus, which was fine with her. The less she saw of his smirking face, the better. Edging past Torvald and his friend Stuart Cortland, Alexandra was greeted by smiles from her friends at the next table. Anna Chu was sitting across from Constance, Forbearance, and Innocence Pritchard. Alexandra slid into the seat beside Anna and gave her best friend a hug. Then she took a moment to note Anna's fancy red, orange, and yellow robes and her hair. Anna usually wore her black hair long and straight, 
but today it was curled above her ears in Chinese ox horns held by fancy pins. An additional shock, she was wearing makeup. Her face was as smooth and fair as one of Alexandra's reflections in Julia's magic mirror. I know, Anna said. It's to make my father happy. He wants me to dress nicely and look like a congressman's daughter when I'm in public. For a school shopping trip? I think she looks pretty, said Innocence. She does, Alexandra agreed. Anna raised a sleeve to her face to hide her blush, then said, narrowing her eyes at Innocence, she said I looked like a little Chinese doll. She sounded more amused than offended, but it was Innocence's turn to blush. Anna looked at Alexandra again and said, You're wearing earrings. It's to make my sister happy, Alexandra said. She wants me to dress nicely and look like a girl when I'm in public. She settled for piercing my ears. She gave the Pritchards a wry smile. So no rashes chaperoning you this year? Constance and forbearance looked at one another, while Innocence's cheeks inflated in the manner of someone dying to say something and wanted everyone present to know that she was very deliberately keeping her mouth shut, but only with great effort. They are upstairs with the other 11th graders. Forbearance gestured at the space above them. We said we prefer to sit with our friends. But they is going to escort us at the Goblin Market, Constance said. You mean chaperone, Alexandra said. Now, Alexandra, they hain't spoke a word against you since last year. They're just supposed to keep me away from you, Alexandra said. Hain't all, Innocence muttered, then closed her mouth after receiving an elbow from Constance. We're freshmen now, Alexandra said. We finally get to walk around the Goblin Market without senior chaperones, and you still have to put up with Benjamin and Mordecai escorting you. Forbearance looked pained. It ain't that simple, Alexandra. Anyhow, we prefer to never mind the rashes just now, Constance said. Have you been, Alex, dear? I'm okay. Maybe later she would relate her encounter with Miss Grimm, meeting Livia and her mysterious sixth sister, but that wasn't something to talk about here. Have you been, Innocence? she asked the youngest Pritchard. About his brain, Innocence said, her deep blue eyes wide and guileless. Her sister's faces said otherwise, but they didn't contradict her. They all continued talking, Innocence interjecting comments that the older girls received with good-natured tolerance until the bus reached Detroit on its wide circuit along the Automagica. David Washington boarded the bus, wearing the jersey of his father's football team. He walked directly down the aisle to where Alexandra, Anna, and the Pritchards sat, and addressed the Ozarkers. "'So no rashes?' "'Why, hello, David. How nice to see you, too,' said Constance, folding her hands on the table in front of her. "'And how was your summer?' asked Forbearance. "'We ain't had a fine summer, thank you much for asking,' Constance said. David stood there trying to banish the chagrin and confusion from his face. Innocence giggled. He regrouped. "'Hello?' "'Sit down, dork.' Alexandra said. He took a seat next to her. I just meant... We didn't know what you meant, Constance said. Forbearance, more sympathetically, asked, Is it true Angelique ain't coming back to Charmbridge? David nodded glumly. Yeah, she's going to Balswood now. So that's why you're sitting with us, said Innocence. Nah, David said. I'm sitting with you once because I missed you so much, Innocence. He leaned forward with his lips pursed comically as if he meant to kiss her from across the table, Innocent shrank back into her seat in shock, mouth opened and cheeks flaming red. Even Constance and Forbearance laughed at this, though Alexandra noticed their cheeks were red also. After that, it was impossible to discuss anything seriously. 
So for the rest of the ride to Chicago, they talked about what they had done over the summer, the classes they were taking this year, and how wonderful it would be to explore the Goblin Market as unchaperoned freshmen, able to visit all the shops and side streets that had been forbidden to them until now. When Mrs. Speaks parked the bus in front of Grobnowski's Old World Deli in Chicago, everyone filed out and marched in an orderly procession through the establishment. The old witch and wizard who were always behind the counter never said a word to the students who tromped through their store every year. The deli's interior was lined with smoky wooden timbers and had a smell of ancient wine, cured meat, and odiferous cheeses. Alexandra thought about coming back to sample some of those multicolored wizard cheeses now that she could, but soon they were through the door in the back and stepping onto the streets of the Goblin Market, and there were many other things to draw her attention. Eager to be sent loose to roam freely, all the more eager because of the past few weeks she'd spent confined to her house, she barely listened to Mrs. Speaks's admonition about behaving like Charmbridge students and being back in the main square by 4 p.m. The 6th, 7th, and 8th graders all had to line up with the senior chaperone, who would escort them from one shop to another to buy the books and supplies they needed for the coming year. Innocence grumbled, but joined the other 7th graders. Alexandra surveyed the cobblestone streets and the shops nearest them. They were filled with everything from wizard pastries to robes and hats to brooms and clockworks and magical boxes and charmed pens and dancing tableware and scrying glasses and many more wonders than she could ever afford to buy. But now she could look at it all without a nagging senior prompting her to move on, hurry up, stop dawdling. Her smile faded as her eyes fell on the line of sixth graders and the girl who had turned her face away when Alexandra had boarded the bus. Pretty, with eyes as dark as her hair, the sixth-grade girl was wearing purple and white robes that rivaled Anna's in elegance, and she was no longer hiding her face. She was staring directly at Alexandra. Alexandra felt a chill that was stronger than the late summer heat. Alex? Anna said. She looked at the younger girl and back at Alexandra. Then the girl turned away with her classmates as the excited sixth-graders marched off to Horgrim's to get their wands. Who was that? Anna asked. Mary Dearborn, Alexandra said, Darla's younger sister. David's jaw dropped. You're kidding. Do I sound like I'm kidding? No. He stepped back at her sudden intensity. I just meant, why? Why would she come to Charmbridge Academy? He nodded. Well, yeah, I mean, you'd think that her parents wouldn't want her anywhere near the girl responsible for her sister's death. David, Anna... Constance and forbearance all fell silent. Alexandra looked around quickly. The other ninth graders had already dispersed across the square. Alex, Anna said, you weren't responsible. Constance spoke in a whisper. Darla. She looked at her sister. Forbearance leaned forward and touched Alexandra's arm. We can't never know what Darla conceived. Not really, Forbearance said. Alexandra stared at her bleakly and turned away, to find Anna and David looking at her also. You don't know, she thought. And they didn't know. Alexandra doubted that even Mary knew why her sister had died. She hoped she didn't. Are you in fiction to gabble to gook all day when you could do that at school? Benjamin Rash said, as he and Mordecai Rash marched up to them. Like Constance and Forbearance, the Rashes were identical twins. As blonde and blue-eyed as the Pritchards, their thick, rough pants, long-sleeved shirts, suspenders, and wide-brimmed hats set them apart from other wizards as much as from muggles. Both of the Ozarker boys pointedly did not look at Alexandra, Anna, or David. Alexandra didn't say anything to them, but her teeth were clenched, and so were David's. 
The rashes had made clear in no uncertain terms that they did not approve of pure-blooded Ozarkers consorting with mudbloods and foreigners. "'Where do you prefer to go firstly? Mordecai asked, in a less belligerent tone than his brother. "'I reckon we ought to get books,' forbearance said. "'But do let's eat lunch at Goody Pruitt's.' Alexandra caught her eye and nodded. "'See you later,' Alexandra said, as the Ozarkers bustled off. Alexandra saw Larry Albo among the eleventh graders. She watched him a moment. He was with his friends Wade White and Ethan Robinson, but his girlfriend, Adela Iturbide, hadn't joined them. Her eyes drifted over to the tenth graders. Adela was retreating up the street with a group of fellow sophomores, without a backward glance at Larry. Abruptly, Alexandra realized Larry was watching her with a small, annoyed frown. She frowned back at him, and the old colonial boy made a dismissive gesture and turned his back on her. He and his friends headed toward a broom shop, in the opposite direction from both Adela and Alexandra. Mrs. Speaks called Alexandra's name, along with Torvald Krogstad and several others. The bus driver walked over to them and handed each of them an envelope. "'Charity cases!' yelled one of the retreating upperclassmen. Mrs. Speaks looked up sharply. "'Who said that?' No one turned around. Alexandra looked in Larry's direction again. No, he was already too far down the street. "'The letter in this envelope authorizes you to purchase approved school supplies only,' Mrs. Speaks said. Alexandra had been receiving a scholarship to attend Charmbridge Academy since sixth grade. In previous years, it had been her senior chaperone who signed for her school purchases. She glanced at Torvald. She'd never thought he was a scholarship student as well. In fact, she'd never thought about whether anyone else was attending on a scholarship. Torvald grinned at her. "'So little troublesome is on a scholarship.' I always thought your father was paying for you to come to Charmbridge. She refrained from saying something rude only because Mrs. Speaks was standing right there. Don't even think about showing that note for any items not on your list, Mrs. Speaks said. It's a letter of credit issued by Gringotts, and the goblins will come to collect you if you charge something that Charmbridge won't pay for. You mean collect what they're owed? I said what I meant, Miss Quick. Mrs. Speaks waved her hands. Now go on, get your shopping done. Be back by four. David and Anna were still waiting for her. David shuffled his feet. So, uh, me and Dylan are going to go check out Highlander Mage Supplies. They've got brooms and quads and games and things. Dueling equipment, too. David's muggle-born roommate, Dylan Weitzner, was tossing a pinch into the fountain at the center of the square and dodging the streams of water that the animated stone fish squirted at him. Okay, Alexandra said. But I want to go to one of those oculomancy shops and look at weather globes afterwards. The Goblin Market was tiny compared to the rest of downtown Chicago, but Alexandra and her classmates had seen little of it on their previous visits. They had been shepherded from Horgrim's wands and alchemical supplies to Boxley's books to Grundy's department store by their senior chaperones, purchasing alchemical supplies, school books, robes, and other school essentials. If they were lucky, their chaperones might allow them to do a bit of window shopping or visit one or two establishments along the way, but they had not been free to explore all the businesses packed into this magical shopping district that served all of Central Territory. There were streets Alexandra had never been down, and stores and restaurants she had never seen before. They spent the first hour visiting shops of interest. Highlander Mage Supplies had everything from Quidditch and Quampot equipment, to wizard card games, to wand care kits, and some very nice wand sheaths, finger gloves, dueling rings, and other items that made Alexandra wish she had more spending money. 
Then they went to the astronomy tower, where Alexandra and Anna inspected weather clubs, which were too expensive, and scrying balls, which were even more expensive, while David and Dylan went to a shelf displaying glass eyeballs and started ogling each other through them. Dude, you'd be kind of hot as a chick, said Dylan, peering at David through an eye with a little Mars and Venus signs etched on it. Wait till you my, David said, squinting at Dylan through an eye with future vision printed on the card in front of its stand. He snickered. Man, you're going to go bald. You were so full of crap, Dylan said, as David looked at Alexandra. Young man, said the proprietor, can you not read? He was a white-haired man with a pointy chin and long, bony fingers. He plucked the eyeball out of David's hand, glared at Dylan, who put his back, and pointed at the sign on the shelf. Do not handle unless you intend to buy. All merchandise is protected by thieves' curses. We weren't stealing anything, David said. Do you wish to buy this? the wizard asked, holding up the glass eyeball. Sixteen lions? I don't think so. Then I'm going to have to ask all of you to leave. This is not a toy store. There was something distasteful in the proprietor's expression as he looked at them. With his eyes passing over David's sports jersey, Alexandra's chambray shirt and jeans, and Dylan's Cleveland Indians t-shirt and baggy pants. He glanced at Anna, the only one of them not wearing muggle clothing, then gestured at the door. Alexandra expected David to say something, but he didn't, and they all filed sullenly out of the store. "'Did you see the way he was looking at us?' Alexandra asked. "'Yeah,' David nodded. "'No love for Muggleborns.' But he wore an odd expression. "'What's wrong?' she asked. When I looked at Dylan, he got older the longer I looked at him. So? When I looked at you, you only got a little older. Alexandra felt a little shiver, but she shrugged. Well, he took it away from you before you could look longer. David opened his mouth, and she cut him off. Come on, we better get our school books. The four of them walked to Boxley's Books, the largest bookstore in the Goblin Market. There were other Charmbridge students there, but Alexandra ignored them as she roamed the stacks, pulling books off the shelves and flipping through them and trying to decide how many non-textbooks she could buy with her meager spending money. There were only a few books with dueling charms and other offensive spells that weren't hidden upstairs behind the door marked Very Special Interests, Adults Only. Books that taught curses or anything else even remotely resembling dark arts would be kept there, inaccessible to her. She browsed through books about powers and elves and magical oaths, and finally gathered her required textbooks when she realized that Anna and David and Dylan were waiting for her. She showed her letter of credit at the counter to pay for her textbooks, and handed over most of her pocket money for Wards Have Weaknesses, Purely Academic Exploitations. David and Dylan wanted to go to Grundy's department store next, but Alexandra wanted to investigate the side streets they had passed by. Some of those streets back there look pretty shady, David said. Says the guy from Detroit, Dylan said. The nice part of Detroit. Alexandra said, well, I want to see what's there. Of course you do, David said. No need for you to come along. Right, like we're going to let you go by yourselves. Yeah, we need a couple of boys to protect us, just like Constance at Forbearance. Go to Grundy's if you want. Alexandra noticed that Anna also showed a marked lack of enthusiasm. I just want to look. We're still going to be right here in the Goblin Market. It's not like we're going into downtown Chicago. Anna nodded reluctantly. Alexandra set off, with Anna at her side and David and Dylan grumbling as they followed. The first couple of side streets were just filled with more shops, mostly selling robes, hats, potion supplies, coffee and tea, and other mundane items. 
They were dingier and cheaper than the stores along the Goblin Market's main street, but no more interesting. The third street they ventured into was directly behind the Wizard Rail Station, but it was the dimmest and worst smelling of all. Most of the doors up and down the alley were unmarked, a few had painted signs hanging above them or lanterns hanging from iron hooks. At the far end, deep in the shadows, a baleful green flame flickered in the only lamp that was lit at this time of day. A few of the establishments had metal sculptures of centaurs or chimeras or other creatures mounted above the doors. The scant light glinted off of broken glass. "'Man, this place looks worse than Detroit,' said Dylan. "'Almost as bad as Cleveland,' said David. The street was empty except for a tall, long-haired woman wearing a shawl talking to a shorter, broader woman with a hunched back. The women were halfway down the alley, hidden in the shadows of one of the unlit doorways. "'Can we go?' Anna said. "'This place is giving me the creeps.' "'Yeah,' Alexandra said. Just then a train rumbled into the wizard rail station on the other side of the buildings. The tall woman turned and walked across the shadowy street toward a side alley, and as she passed through the thin wedge of sunlight falling across the teens at the mouth of the alley, Alexandra caught a glimpse of her face. The woman wasn't a woman. It was a young man with long black hair. His shawl was checkered with red and black geometric designs. He slowed as he stepped out of the sunlight and back into the shadows. Alexandra saw his glittering dark eyes turned her way, and the round face and prominent nose. Then he was swallowed by the alley. No way, she said, and ran after him. Alex! Alex! Anna and David shouted after her. Alexandra's wand was out. The hunchbacked woman made a startled noise. Alexandra saw red eyes and an enormous nose above jagged yellow teeth. She veered away from her and ran along the far wall until she reached the alley. She went around the corner with her wand held in front of her, but all she saw was another gloomy side street, this one lined with doors that didn't seem to belong to businesses, at least none that hung signs out front. It felt as if she'd stepped into another time zone, the way daylight was swallowed by the walls squeezing together and rising high above her. In fact, the buildings on the opposite side of the alley were so high, they had to be offices or apartment buildings, possibly marking the edge of Muggle Chicago, the back-facing portion that abutted the Goblin Market. Her friends caught up to her. Anna had her wand out also, and was looking fearfully at the hag, who was now lurking by the entrance of one of the taverns. "'Alex, what are you doing?' she asked in a high-pitched voice. David sounded almost as nervous. "'Girl, we need to get out of here.' Alexandra said, "'I saw John Manmolito.' "'Who?' asked Dylan. Alexandra walked a few steps into the alley. It had a slight curve to it, which she couldn't see from the intersection. The far end was not visible. "'Alex, I'm pretty sure we shouldn't be here,' Anna said. Further down the alley, Alexandra saw a red and black corner of cloth flapping and a figure disappearing into the shadows. She ran after it, ignoring the small creatures that chittered underfoot and something that flapped past her ears. There were ghostly lights and what might have been a pale face or two on the other side of the windows lining the alley. Even though the sun should have been directly overhead, it felt as if she were running into evening. She reached the end of the alley and saw the Goblin Market's main street to her left, but she turned right, the direction she'd seen the figure she thought was John Manmolito going. Now there was a door with an electric light bulb flickering erratically above it, and opposite the alley, another door with chains draped across it, set in a brick wall between two windows with black iron bars across them, and at the far end, steps descending into the ground.
Alexandra ran for the steps and looked down. The steps were brick at the top, but became polished stone at the edge of the shadows lurking past the light cast by the flickering bulb behind her. She couldn't see how far down they went or what was at the bottom, but she heard a distant rumble and then felt a soft breeze push against her face from below. Could this stairwell somehow connect to the subway? She looked over her shoulder. The bulb flickered and died. She'd never seen an electric light in the Goblin Market, Charmbridge Academy, or anywhere in New Roanoke or at Croatoa. Was she in the wizarding world now, or had she crossed the border into the muggle part of Chicago? Anna, David, and Dylan came running out of the alley behind Alexandra. They all slowed to a halt when they saw her, and Anna and Dylan bent over to catch their breaths while David leaned against one of the iron window grates, panting. "'What the hell?' he gasped. Alexandra continued looking down the stairway until Anna walked up behind her. "'What's going on?' Anna asked, sounding worried and a little frightened. "'It was him,' Alexandra said. "'Okay,' Anna said. "'What if it was John Mambolito? Maybe he lives in Chicago now. Why would you want to meet him?' Alexandra's fingers tightened on her wand. John Mambolito had been the Moore's Mortis Society's connection to the Dark Convention. John Mambolito had lured Darla Dearborn into the Dark Arts and set her against Alexandra. Alexandra was convinced that he bore some responsibility for Darla's death. Maybe as much as her. "'Can we please get out of here?' David said. "'Yes, please,' Anna said. Alexandra turned away from the tunnel and glanced at the light bulb overhead. It flickered on again, then winked out as the four of them walked beneath it. The sunlit entrance to the alley seemed blocks away, but it only took a few more paces to bring them back to the main street of the Goblin Market. Grundy's was just down the block. They merged with the pedestrians and horses and proceeded to the department store, and David and Dylan started talking about dragon-scale gloves and cauldrons and measuring equipment. Alexandra didn't say anything and was very conscious of Anna watching her silently. By the time they finished their shopping, everyone was hungry. Since they'd agreed to eat lunch at Goody Pruitt's, they left the department store and walked back along the long main avenue, passing the Chicago Broom Megastore and several clockwork enchantment and repair shops with clockwork dogs and cats in the window. They returned to the square outside Grobnowski's back entrance, with its large fountain and the owl post office sitting on one corner, Goody Pruitt's which made pies, cakes, and other confections on the other, and the Colonial Bank of the New World across the street. Constance and Forbearance were visible through the window of Goody Pruitt's, seated at a table with Benjamin and Mordecai. The two boys looked awkward and stiff. Constance and Forbearance were sipping from ice cream sodas. "'Man, they are babes,' Dylan said, staring at Constance and Forbearance from across the street. Even if they do dress like Laura Ingalls. Shut up, said David. Dude, we gotta figure out a way to get rid of he and Haw. Why are you two with us again? Alexandra asked. She walked across the street, Anna at her side. I wasn't being obnoxious, David said, following her. Alexandra paused at the entrance to Goody Pruitt's. For a moment, she stared at the name on the sign. Then she was distracted by a large, hunched shape out on the street. Alex? Anna said as Alexandra stood blocking the door. "'You're acting awfully strange to—' The hunched figure was heading away from them, back toward the wizard rail station. It was an old woman, stooped over and wearing tattered robes and an ancient, floppy witch's hat. Alexandra let go of the door, ran back down the steps, and dashed down the street. 
Is she nuts? Dylan asked. Alex! Anna shouted. Alexandra ran until she almost collided with a golden metal clockwork golem. Veering around it, she bumped into an old wizard in a moon and stars robe. Sorry, she said, and kept running as he muttered curses behind her. Not real curses, she hoped. There was a man wearing chain armor beneath thick black robes, leading a hippogriff on a chain, and she would have stopped to admire the beast except the woman she was following was just about to turn down an alley. The man in armor yelled at her not to run. She ran anyway, and the hippogriff turned its head and snapped at her. She threw herself to one side and tumbled to the street as the creature's fearsome beak snapped the air where she had just been. She leaped to her feet, scrambling away from it. Its eyes were burning as if hungry for her flesh. "'Don't run, dear hippogriff! Curse you, girl!' the man in black robes said, pulling at its metal leash. "'Sorry!' she gulped, and as soon as she was safely out of the hippogriff's reach, she ran again. She was almost to the wizard rail station, but the woman turned down an alley that went behind it, a different one than before. The stooped figure was walking around a grassy smear on the cobblestones and headed toward an open door through which a fire in a brick oven was visible. "'You!' Alexandra shouted. Hilda! The old woman stopped and turned around. She was hideous, with a chin that could scrape ice and a nose that looked as if it had been screwed into her face, turned a few too many times and then mashed in for good measure. Her mouth gaped open in astonishment, exposing two rows of square teeth with not a single ungapped pair. It was a hag but not the same hag Alexandra had seen twice before at the wizard rail station, the one named Hilda. She couldn't tell if it was the same one she'd seen with John Mambolito. The hag's look of astonishment faded. Her face shifted, her eyes darted right and left before settling on Alexandra again, and she forced her mouth into a kindly smile. "'Hello, dear, what's this? What can Gertrude do for you?' She leaned forward, with her large hands hanging in front of her, displaying long, long nails. Alexandra instinctively took a step back and drew her wand. The hag's smile faltered. Now, now, what's this? Pointing a wand at an old woman? Alexandra sucked in a breath. Her crazy hunch seemed insane now. You hags, you deal in black magic, don't you? She was still holding her wand out. With only a couple of yards between them, she realized that Gertrude was deceptively large beneath that shawl, and her movements, like the other hags she'd seen, were only outwardly those of a slow old woman. Gertrude's yellow eyes narrowed. Balderdash, dear, someone's been telling you fairy tales. We're law-abiding citizens, we are. She paused. But why ever would such a sweet child as yourself be interested in black magic? Were you talking to an older boy with long black hair earlier today? An Indian? The baggy flesh around the hag's eyes crinkled further. Well, now, that would be my business, wouldn't it? After all, she looked furtively around and lowered her voice. You wouldn't want to be telling just anyone if I spoke to you, now, would you? Like if you were selling illegal items, like mistletoe wands? The hag stepped back. Now, Gertrude isn't saying she knows anything about mistletoe wands, but if you're really interested in things like that, I know a cozy little hole in the wall where we can discuss it. I want to know if another girl my age came to one of you, Alexandra said. 
one of us? As if we all know each other's business. The hank threw up her hands and made a sound of exasperation. Oh, dear, dear, such a sweet young child. Where do you get such ideas? Alexandra! The shout came from up the alley. Anna and David were both standing there, out of breath again. The hag drew back, pulling her shawl more tightly around herself. "'I think you and your friends must be lost, dear,' Gertrude said, no longer sounding either kindly or sly. "'Run along now. Mustn't talk to strangers. You should know better.' Alexandra wanted to make her stay, but Gertrude turned away and slouched through the hole in the wall into whatever establishment was on the other side. Alexandra knew better than to follow, even if her friends weren't standing there staring at her. She put her wand in her pocket and walked back to her friends. Anna and David looked concerned and angry. "'What is up with you?' David asked. "'Yes, that's what I'd like to know,' Anna said. Her carefully wrapped buns of hair were coming undone. Strands hung around her ears. The bottom hem of her fine robes was stained. Sweat was trickling down her face. Alexandra couldn't answer. Maybe she'd imagined seeing John Mambolito. Maybe her suspicion about where Darla got her mistletoe wand was wrong. And if she was right, what could she do about it? I'm sorry, she said. Sorry, David said. Sorry for what? Acting like a crazy person? Yes, for that. Alexandra began walking back toward Goody Pruitt's. The silence weighed heavily on them. Alexandra thought about her friends following her like that, not knowing where she was going or what had sent her running. Halfway to Goody Pruitt's, she saw Constance and Forbearance coming up the street, with Benjamin and Mordecai at their sides, very annoyed, and Dylan trailing after them. Constance spotted her first. Alexandra! Forbearance said. Alexandra Wien saw you set off like you was a fire. Alexandra stopped in the middle of the street. She was surrounded by her friends, who had chased after her without knowing why, and for whom she had no explanation. She had a hard time meeting their eyes. I'm fine, she said. I'm sorry I made you worry. You ought to be sorry, Benjamin Rash said. Run about unregulated making decent folk. Shove it, David said to the Ozarker boy. No one asked you. Benjamin snatched his wand out of his pocket. David backed away and grabbed for his wand. Anna and Mordecai both reached for theirs. "'Benjamin!' said Constance. "'Mordecai!' said Forbearance. "'Ain't taking no more ash from this suggin!' Benjamin snarled. He pushed Constance aside. Not violently, but it was the first time Alexandra had seen one of the rashes actually lay hands on one of the girls. David puffed up in outrage. Alexandra knew he was no dueler and wouldn't stand a chance against either of the rashes, let alone both of them. "'Stop it,' she said, stepping between them. Her wand had been out before anyone else's, and it was now pointed directly at Benjamin's nose. Benjamin hesitated. Last year, Alexandra had beat both of the rashes at once in a duel. This time, she knew from his hesitation that she had already won. She dropped her wand arm to her side— and didn't flinch as Benjamin and Mordecai both held their wands pointed at her. "'Are you going to get us all in trouble by dueling in the middle of the street?' Alexandra inclined her head. Already adults were slowing to gawk at the teens. Very deliberately, she put her wand in her pocket. "'Your little friend started it,' Benjamin said. Alexandra held a hand out, letting it smack against David's chest as he lunged forward. 
Curse me or walk away, she said, pushing David back. What's going on here? A man's voice broke through the standoff. A wizard in a red auror's vest dropped out of the sky on a shiny black broom, landing next to the group of teens. Any wands out of the count of three and you go to juvenile offenses. He started counting. By the time he reached three, all remaining wands had disappeared into their owner's pockets. Break it up, the auror said. He frowned at Alexandra. You look familiar. Thank you for helping us, sir, Anna said, stepping forward. She reached a hand up to brush some loose strands of hair away from her face. What's your name, please? I'd like to tell my father, Congressman Chu, about the nice auror who kept me and my friends from getting in trouble. The auror blinked uncertainly. While Anna gushed at him, the rashes slunk away. The Pritchards followed, with worried glances over their shoulders. Dylan lingered at the edge of the street, trying to remain inconspicuous. By the time they got to Goody Pruitt's, the Ozarkers were all gone. Alexandra had witch apple pie and plain vanilla ice cream, while David and Dylan ordered Wyland West's 99-flavored triple-scoop sundaes and spent lunch alternately gagging and thumping the table over each bite of the magical ice cream. Anna ate rice cake and chocolates and spoke little. "'So, were you going to explain what all that was about?' David asked, intruding on their thoughts. The boys had finished their ice cream, and Anna was carefully unwrapping the last of her chocolates. Alexandra looked at Anna, whose eyes were still fixed on her chocolate, and then David. "'Later,' she said. A tense silence hung in the air after that. Ignored by anyone else, Dylan was looking out the window at passers-by on the street. "'Hey, it's a goblin,' he said. "'You ever notice that you never see goblin chicks?' Even Dylan wasn't talking much by the time all the Charmbridge students gathered at the back entrance to Grobnowski's Old World Deli. On the bus, Dylan joined another group of boys, while David sat down across the table from Alexandra and Anna. When the Pritchards arrived, the rashes were following behind them. "'You would want to come sit with us,' Benjamin said. "'No, thank you,' said Constance. "'I'm trying to say it mannerly,' Benjamin said. "'You was mannerly, Benjamin, but we'd prefer to sit with our friends.' Benjamin's brother said, "'Please, you know your pa told us to keep you out of trouble.' Forbearance turned to him. "'What trouble do you see here, Mordecai?' She wrapped an arm around Innocence's shoulders and put a hand over the younger girl's mouth. "'Williams are staying,' Constance said. Benjamin scowled. "'Your folks are going to hear about this.' Glowering, the rashes pushed past them and went up the stairs. Constance sat down and slid across the seat until she was next to David. "'Innocence, dear, go sit with your friends,' Forbearance said. "'Weans need to talk.' "'What?' Innocence exclaimed. "'Don't quarrel,' Constance said. To Alexandra's surprise, Innocence only pounded for a few seconds before slinking back up the aisle to join the other seventh-graders. Forbearance sat next to Constance, and all of them looked at Alexandra. Constance spoke first. "'Alex, dear, Weans are awful concerned about you.' "'You don't have to be,' Alexandra said. "'So you weren't seeing dark wizards and chasing after hags and acting nuts?' David asked. "'You said you'd explain later,' Anna said. "'I didn't think you were going to ambush me on the bus,' Alexandra said. "'You're making a big deal out of nothing.' The bus was moving through downtown Chicago now, on its way to the Automagica. It was noisy. In the booth behind them, Janet Jackson was giggling with her friends as they tested some new wandless cosmetic charms. There was a loud crack followed by a yelp of pain from where the tenth graders were sitting, and Mrs. Speaks yelled over the tumult at Torvald. The quiet that hung over Alexandra's table felt to her like a silent interrogation. A secret keeper, 
she thought. She carried so many secrets. It had become second nature not to tell anyone. Don't you think you can trust us? Anna asked. It's not like that, Alexandra said. You saved Innocence's life, Forbearance said. You know there ain't nothing you can't tell us. You have no idea, Alexandra said. You really don't. Give us an idea, Constance said. Alexandra took out her wand, hesitated, then said, Mafliano, what's that spell? David asked. It prevents anyone from eavesdropping on us, Alexandra said. David snorted. Paranoid much? Alexandra stared him down until he stopped smiling. Then she spoke, so quietly that her friends had to lean forward to hear. There are secrets, she said, that people get obliviated to protect. If I tell you, I'll be putting you in danger. If you tell anyone else, even your parents, you'll put them in danger. Constance and Forbearance turned toward one another in silent communion. Anna grew pale. David clenched his fists on the table uncertainly. Please, just let it go, Alexandra said. I'm sorry I've been acting strange. I don't want to keep secrets from you, but I don't want you endangered either. After a long silence, David said, So it's okay for you to be endangered? Better me than you and me and everyone else, Alexandra said. Alex, Anna whispered. I trust all of you, Alexandra said, but you can't help. How do you know that? Constance asked. You ain't gave us a chance to try, Forbearance said. Alexandra shook her head. And if I tell you something you can't do anything about, something you can't talk about with anyone else? She leaned back against her seat. If you ask me next week, when we're in school, I'll tell you what I can, but think about it first. Really think about it. I'm asking you, as my friends, to drop it. It wasn't likely. She saw it in their faces. They were her friends, and they wanted to help. End of chapter 5 For the full text of this and other stories, as well as news and updates about Alexandra Quick, visit inverarity.livejournal.com. For more information about this podcast, visit sangabrielvo.com slash alexandraquick. I am also easy to find on the Alexandra Quick subreddit and Discord server, where you can hear me record episodes live. Troublesome, composed by Dr. James Benikoff. Charmbridge, composed and performed by Tyler Parsons. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes or whichever podcast service you prefer. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.